Hey everybody, I wanna give you a gift before we dive in. If you're at the beginning of your content marketing journey or if you've been doing it a while but it's not working as well as you want and you feel like something is missing, I wanna give you a roadmap to help you get more ROI out of your content. This is my blog remix method and it's a shortcut to go from one blog to dozens of pieces of content in less than 60 minutes. Even if you have webinars, podcasts, and video content, you can take the transcripts and follow the guidelines in the exact same way. It's a great resource. It's free. You should have it. If you haven't downloaded it already, grab it right now at justinsimon.co slash remix. If you're listening to this podcast feed, you can click the link right below and download it. Get it, read it, apply it. It takes you step-by-step step to get more value out of your blog content and get it in front of your audience. So grab the guide, get a blog, and get it running. That's my blog remix method, and it's free at justinsimon.co slash remix. Hey, everybody. Before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. Hey everybody, on this week's episode, I get to join Jason Mumford on his podcast and we go deep on all things distribution first, the entire approach and how I'm using it to create less content, but still get a ton of ROI out of the stuff that I'm creating. Hopefully you enjoy this episode and let's get into the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Content Marketing Podcast brought to you by Hedge, the finance content agency. Today, joining the show by Justin Simon, and we're going to be talking all things content distribution. Justin, thanks so much for coming on. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jason. We were just sort of having a bit of a chat before we hit record, and we're talking about the fact that you know the network of marketers and how that's something that I'm getting more involved with, meeting new people and stuff. So I'm sure lots of people who are listening to this will have already know of you what you do. But for those that don't, do you want to start by giving us a little bit of an intro as to who you are and what you do? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Justin Simon. I run a content consulting and execution company that basically helps B2B SaaS companies and other companies create content marketing strategies, but really focused on repurposing distribution of the content. So it's not just a focus on production. It's a focus on actually getting eyeballs on the content and streamlining that whole process. So once you create something, you know it's actually going to continue to launch and continue to gain momentum throughout the process versus just hitting publish and moving on, which a lot of you know agencies and unfortunately content folks, even in-house, tend to tend to focus on. So yeah, definitely. I think that's what I want to get into the crux of today because it's super interesting to me. And I think anyone who works in this industry or even just a consumer, it's so common for us to see people or brands or businesses across every spectrum who have rubbish content. And like that could be anything from a brand to like a politician to a celebrity. Like, and all it comes down to is that whoever has the biggest platform or the biggest distribution is going to get their content elevated. And in some ways, unfortunately, the quality of the actual content can sometimes come below that. So I think this is a really, really important topic. 
Do you want to start by giving me a bit of a like broad overview of how you approach that and maybe what is different to the way that you approach a content marketing strategy than somebody who is focused on creating the best content, which is obviously got to be part of it, but potentially backwards to how you look at it? Yeah. And I, I do th- like content marketing, content like at the core, content is king. People will kind of dog on that, but like content is still the core of what you're doing. If the content itself isn't good, distributing it and repurposing more of it is not going to help you either. So that's the slight caveat here. It's not just like, yeah. oh yeah, if you can cut up all your stuff, it's going to solve all your issues. Like most of the times when I end up drilling in, whether it's been companies I've been at the past or companies I work with now, you know, the core problems, like if something's not working, it's tied in like with the content strategy itself. It's tied in with who they're trying to target, what content they're trying to to get out there and, and some of that stuff. But as far as how I think about the process and frame things up differently, everything I do is built on a distribution first framework. It's built on understanding where and how you're going to distribute that content before you create it. And it's not super complicated, but most teams add distribution on at the end. So we create this thing, it's all set, we made it, all right, now what are we gonna do with it? Are we gonna do paid ads? Okay, well, like what clips are we gonna get out for the paid ads? Or are we gonna do it on social? Like what are we gonna share, how many times? Or it's just, we released it, 24 hour launch, quote unquote, and then done (laughs) and no more distribution. So the distribution is typically an afterthought. It's typically almost like an assumption of like, I know in in past places I've worked as well, even for me, one of the problems I struggled with was when I came up in content marketing, I was really focused on SEO. So the distribution was built in to where if I could get Google to pick it up, awesome. Like, great, Google picked it up. It's distributed because now I have people actively searching for that and landing on it. The problem comes when even if you rank eighth on page one, nobody's going to click on that. Your click-through rate's 1% or less. Yeah. And so the more I got involved in that, I was like, oh, shoot. Like, we're sp- like I was running a team and I was like, we're spending so much time creating content, you know, it, classic like spike and then death. <laughs> like you yeah, launch yeah. it and then it just, and then you like look at the your graphs and GA and you're like, holy smoke, we've got five people visiting that blog a month. <laughs> And so the more that I started to dive into those things and drill on those things, everything for me around distribution first, all that, it ties back into simplicity. It ties back into a, like being efficient with what you're doing. Because when I was running a team and I had you know a team of writers and videographers, et cetera, I wanted them to be efficient. I wanted them to you know get the most and create the highest quality stuff. Because you know the more busy you get, the more things kind of fall through the cracks or that's easier just to kind of like, oh, well, that's not just how I would want it, but I got to get it done. Yeah. And so if we could focus on creating less, but distributing it more, getting more out of the stuff we were creating, that was going to be super effective. And then, it, and then that completely transferred over when I was a one person content team at a startup and it transfers over now that I'm running my own thing. Like I have to be efficient. If I'm not efficient, if, if I'm wasting time creating content or doing other things, I'm not actually running the business. I'm not being able to, you know, provide work for my clients and do all that. So yeah, it's about like simplicity, efficiency, and then getting more out of your content. So from a practical standpoint, then, does that mean you look at your target demographic, where they hang out, all that kind of stuff, like what your main distribution channels are going to be, whether that's SEO, whether that's particular social platforms, paid, whatever. Does that mean you kind of decide that 
first. You decide the amount you want to be on those platforms, how often you want to post on TikTok or LinkedIn or whatever, and then say, right, well, we need to fill this content calendar because that's where our people, our target demographic is. How can we fill those channels with the fewest amounts of original content? Is that kind of what you mean by like working from distribution first or is it something different to that? No, that's pretty close. Yeah, it's it's just gaining an understanding. And, and sometimes this is a real light bulb moment for clients that I've worked with where it's like, you have like when we start to do this exercise, yeah, it's like, okay, where do you want to be active? And they might say LinkedIn and email. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, how often are you going to send an email? Are you going to send one every day? Are you going to send one once a week, twice a week? And so when you nail those things out, it's like, okay, so I'm going to send two emails a week. LinkedIn, okay, LinkedIn is not Twitter. You do not, you do not need to constantly stream out content on LinkedIn. They'll actually punish you for that. And, mm. and so you might only need one, one, two post max, post max a week. And so now you're thinking through, and it's like, okay, that gives me, you know, seven to nine touch points a week of content that I have to be able to create out reverse engineer that back. Okay, maybe I don't need four blog posts a week. Maybe I need one a month. And then this one webinar thing we're doing over here. And if we properly cut those things up, we can get plenty of content out. And that's what really forces you two to go back to the content strategy side. And you have to get the topics right. And so the next thing that I work through in the distribution first framework is themes and understanding like, once you have your channel set, know your themes, know what are those Mm. core things you want to be talking about because it's really easy to, you know, somebody's got an idea and then it goes off. It just, it just happens naturally, right? Or, hey, we've got this new feature and we want to do X, Y, and Z. And so, but if you can lay out those things, it gives you some guardrails to say, look, like how we want to talk about ourselves on our distribution channels that we've decided here it, it are these things. I mean, honestly, I've been in conversations where after we've gone through the framework, it's like a giant epiphany of like, oh, we're creating so much stuff. We could never distribute it properly mm. based on the channels we're using. I think that's something really interesting that Dozy, we were just, I was introduced to you by, um, by Dozy, who was on the show last, last episode. And that's something that he said, which I found was really interesting, which is to his, his, this philosophy that he has about like people first content. And I think what you're saying there is a is a real trap that SEO led content can fall into because you like have this marketers will go on Ahrefs or SEMrush and like come up with 500 keywords that they want to target and like it can almost become a blinker blinkered situation where all you're looking at is can I rank for these I want to rank for all of these different keywords and I think sometimes the problem with that is that that ends up diluting your message because if you're a, like an investment app and you're talking about random things which are like tangentially like related to investing but they're not really like towards your target audience like yeah you might rank for that but the people that find that content are they really going to get a takeaway of oh i want to invest with this company or i want to contact them for a free demo or whatever the case may be and i think i think that's a really important distinction to make Look, buying habits have changed and i'm you know not the first person to talk about this but how i buy is completely different than how I bought a decade ago. Yeah. A decade ago, I would probably Google something and try to find the best X, Y, and Z. Now I'm either asking my friends, you know, something's getting recommended on a podcast, a tool, or what, you know, like a great example. So like I have a I have a video note taker that like takes notes on my calls that I have with clients and stuff. And it's just easy. Like I can focus on the call and it and it, it'll take it and summarize it for me. I never knew I needed that tool and nor was <laughs> I going to go search it out. But, you know, somebody recommended it to me. And so I think that's how people really tend to 
buy. And like you said, like just ranking for a keyword, because I've been in this position, I did this for years where it was like, and sometimes it was successful too. Like it did make sense. We rank for this keyword. We're number one. This keyword converts at XYZ percent because, you know, we have a free trial model where it ties directly back to the product. But to your point where, sure, you rank and somebody clicks on it and they stay for 30 to 50 seconds and then leave, like there's no brand affinity built. They probably just got their answer or they realized you were or were not the solution and they bounced mm. and they're moving on with their life. Like I think about that when I Google things, I don't connect with the brand at all. Like I got my answer. Cool. Thanks. I'm, I'm moving on. <laughs> I'm moving on with my life now. Yeah, definitely. So if you're always thinking about how to distribute content and you're speaking with new businesses all the time about how they can best distribute their content, do you keep much of an eye on like new and upcoming social platforms? Because this is something that I don't really do. I know they don't come around like all the time, but it almost feels like when a new social platform comes on the scene, it's kind of nowhere and then all of a sudden it's everywhere, which is not obviously the case, but like TikTok was a good example. It was sort of like nowhere for quite a long time. And then I guess pandemic when everyone was at home a lot, it just kind of exploded and it's everywhere. Do you keep an eye on this kind of stuff? Are there any like platforms that are up and coming at the moment that could be a new distribution channel for people? Yeah, I keep an eye on it. I mean, one of the ones I'm honestly most bullish about, I'm not doing it yet because of time. But I mean, TikTok is obviously huge, but I think there's like legal entanglements and some mm. things that, you know, could like there's looming things potentially with TikTok, you know, it's in the yeah. news all the time. So by the way, just I love that. Obviously, uh, TikTok's been in the US recently, like basically lobbying to not have it banned. And I thought it was so funny because I don't know if you saw the TikTok that he actually recorded. And it was like he was cosplaying as like an American tech CEO. He had like a hoodie on and like jeans and sneakers. It's like, dude, you would never wear that if you're in front of the CCP back home. You know what I mean? Oh, like, man. It's just totally. Funny. That's, I hadn't seen that, but that's hilarious. Yeah. But I, so I think like that type of content is super engaging and being short form video that you can quickly swipe through and go off on. What I'm actually super interested in is YouTube and YouTube shorts, like old platform, mm -hmm. but they are trying everything in their power to get people in. And the reason why I think YouTube Shorts is super interesting is because it's tied into Google, Google's tied into YouTube, YouTube's tied into search. There have been instances of YouTube Shorts showing up in search. The more that people start to use this type of content, when I search a recipe and I just need to know how to make the best scrambled eggs, I don't need a six minute YouTube video where it's like, yeah. hey, everybody, my name's John. I just need, hey, here's how to make them, scramble them, add the thing, do this, do that, da da da, and you're done. Yeah. And you're, I'm like, awesome. Now I know how to make the best scrambled eggs. And it took me, you know, 30 to 60 seconds. And so I think those things are going to change how people consume content. And then I think video content is just going to be massive with, you know, we're not there yet with like deep fakes and things like that. Uh, I, I know you and Dozy were touching on that a little bit as well, but with faces, but oh, we'll probably get there at some point. But I think having authentic conversations, having authentic insights, being able to share what's worked for you, what hasn't, is going to be really, really powerful in the next few years as a sea and a flood of, you know, basic fact level content or, you know, this is the recipe content fits in because yeah. being able to have a recipe is one thing, be able to share your insights on that recipe and how I did it is unmatchable. Nobody can compete with your experience in terms of what you're doing. And I think that's going to be huge. I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because you've even seen TikToks pumping out a lot of ads on this, aren't they? They're like pumping out ads of them as a search platform. And it totally makes sense. But like you say, like Google 
dominate search. And actually that's potentially a trick that businesses are missing, right? Because if all that content marketing budget is going towards like blog posts, which are designed for search, maybe some of that should be redirected to like making these short clips. I do this myself as well, like with complex topics, especially because I work with only with finance businesses. So we do a lot of stuff around like financial ratios and like corporate finance topics and that sort of thing. And every now and then I'll come across something that I'm not 100% on the definition. And like, yeah, I could find like a textbook or a technical guide that goes through that, but that's pretty hard going, like getting through like a 2000 word piece that explains it. Whereas if you find a three minute YouTube video, which has some guy like drawing pictures on a whiteboard and explaining it. Like it's so much easier. Mm. And like you say, I think there's so many search terms. If you're looking at it from an SEO perspective, so many search terms that wouldn't have a good short vertical video that explains the whole thing in like a minute or 90 seconds or something. Yeah. And I think it's just long-term thinking like that's where I would put again, like, you know, you're in the financial order. If you're going to take a pie chart and put a piece of your budget or your like time and energy effort, I think having a, small chunk into short form search related video is not a bad place to put some effort in for the hopes that, hey, I'm watching this on YouTube right now and maybe it's getting no views, but maybe down the road that starts getting indexed mm-hmm. and down the road that, hey, this is the authority and this is, you know, this is the authority in the space. Google wants authoritative voices. That's what a lot of their stuff is is changing toward. And so if you can become a, an authoritative space on YouTube and have those short forms, then I think that we'll start to see those two things. Much like in probably 2017, 18, we started seeing YouTube videos show up in native into Google searches. So if I typed something, the video would show up. I think that's going to start happening with uh, short form content too. So what about podcasts then, right? So podcasts have been this like funny niche thing where no one knew about them. And then they went through a massive rise in popularity. I think they've fallen off a bit now that people aren't commuting as much. I, for my clients, I try and push podcasts as much as possible for the redistribution reason. And I don't even expect or see that much value in just audio listeners listening to like a traditional podcast. But we've seen this with like the Joe Rogan podcast. We see a lot of like influencer podcasts who do this, like Stephen Bartlett here in the UK, where they chop it up into snippets for TikTok. They go crazy, YouTube shorts and all those sorts of things. And I think there's actually a huge amount of potential value in doing that, even for like B2B SaaS, like if they're talking about B2B SaaS or fintechs or whoever, CFOs, CMOs, like all these people are on TikTok and on YouTube shorts and stuff. Do you see podcasting the same way? Do you think it's a, as powerful a tool for repurposing it as I do or do you see it a bit differently? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. I think podcasting or even a light version to get started of like, I'm not going to call it a podcast, but I am going to record maybe some interviews with folks, you know, yeah. that way I don't have to put the pressure on myself. But yeah, it's what I talk, I talk about. I just had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this, about potentially starting a podcast at their company. I just helped launch a podcast for another company, you know, at the beginning of the year. And so podcasts are interesting because I do think there was this, a huge spike and it was like very interesting. There's so many, you know, my goodness, podcast agencies and podcast, you know, all, all of the sort of companies that that swell up around podcasting at the time. But I think one of the things that people ask me is like, ah, everybody's got a podcast. Like, wh- why would I have a podcast? And the yeah. thing I always laugh at is like, okay, everybody's got a blog. Are you not doing a blog? Like, everybody yeah. does ads. Are you not doing ads? Like, are you just, you know? And and if you look at the numbers, I don't have. I haven't looked at it in a while, but it's like. Let's just say blogs are like 1 billion blogs on the internet. Podcasts are like, you know, 
500,000 yeah, or you know, a million. Yeah, or it's it's, it, yeah. it's, the scope there is so small. And even of that, a mass majority of podcasts never make it past episode seven. Mm. Never. Yeah. And I, I was, it was funny. I had a conversation with, with somebody and they were talking about wanting to start podcasting. And he, and we weren't even really talking about this piece of it, but he just in the conversation said, yeah, I, ha- I had a podcast and you know I got through six episodes and stopped and you know I, I couldn't make it sustain. And I'm like, yeah, that, that happens. That's the thing. And so, yes, it seems like this big thing, but the value in podcasts to me are what you said, being able to cut up the clips, but then being able to connect with an audience in a way that you could never connect with them through written word. Mm. Humans like humans. We like to see their faces. We like to hear their voices. I say this all the time. You mentioned you know, Joe Rogan, other podcasters. Think about the podcasts you listen to and the folks who you listen to. If you saw them walking on the street, you'd be like, oh man, I, I know them. Like, yeah, I, I feel like exactly. I know them. Like, You feel like you could have a conversation with them. Even though yeah. you've never had, they wouldn't know you from, you know, from anybody else, but like you feel like you know them. And that's powerful because that's how you truly start to get people to know, like, and trust you. And that's ultimately what you want people to do. If you're selling a service, if you're in a SaaS, if you're in a fintech, you want people to know, like, and trust you. So they eventually buy because most people are not ready to buy right now, but eventually they're going to be like, oh, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> like, and by that point, that sales conversation is so much easier because yeah. A, they like you. B, they trust that you can get it done for them. And C, they've already been bought into how you think about something or how you do things. So the folks that I work with who come inbound, who have follow me on LinkedIn and listen to the podcast, those are the best conversations. Yeah, yeah. Because it's just, it's, you know, it's like, oh yeah, like you're, you're looking to do this. I can help you out. Here's how, here's how that works. Here's a framework. Let's set up a, a program and, and get you rolling. Versus somebody who comes in, you know, cold or somebody that I'm reaching out to, it, it, that's a much harder conversation. So I think being able to have a podcast where you are getting your, your thoughts and your insights out and being able to connect with your audience, completely uh, underrated. And like you said, as long as you're doing the distribution side of that right and getting those things in front of people, who cares if you get 20 listens an episode? Like, yeah. you know, like, that's awesome. I'm glad people listen, but like, mm. I'm using it for other purposes. I'm using it to be able to create my newsletter. I'm using it to build my email list. I'm using it to get content out on these other channels and honestly using it to become smarter and get my my thoughts out too, which also helps. And no one knows. No one knows. Like when you put up a YouTube video and it's seen by four people, it's like, let's be honest, it's a bit embarrassing. And like, no matter how early you are, and no matter how many people say, you just got to do a hundred videos before you get anywhere, like it still kind of sucks. No one knows a podcast. You can pretend to be the new Joe Rogan. No one knows. As long as it's like done in a professional way, you can fake it in a good way in that you can attract people that you probably couldn't attract if you just wanted them to interview them on a YouTube channel that had 17 subscribers. Like you can make your show look professional and yeah, bigger than it is without being like disingenuous about it. But you said something really interesting before, and I think you said like a podcast light or something like that. And this is actually something that I've seen one particular creator on LinkedIn do. She's big on LinkedIn and I follow her in a few different places. I actually had her on one of my old podcasts that I had. And she does this thing where she gets one of her employees to interview her like once a week and she answers a bunch of questions and it looks like a podcast. She set it up with a camera, with a mic, like pointed to her. And it's so funny because you see on TikTok, like underneath, there's always a bunch of comments saying like, which podcast is this? Which podcast? And she, they never respond because it's not a podcast, but it's designed to look like one. And there's like, that is probably 
less intimidating for a business maybe that hasn't done this. And to go even further than that, and this is going to link into something that you posted on LinkedIn the other day, was another thing that I'd heard before is a particular agency who was getting the CEO to, they were recording the CEO on the weekly stand-up for the company. So every week, the, the, the CEO would provide an update of what's happening in the industry, what's happening in the company, and then they would then use that content as not quite the same, but you know he would be fielding questions from his staff and that sort of thing. And I think that's, again, they're already doing that. He's already having that conversation with his staff. You don't have to try and get an hour of his time like throughout the week elsewhere. And it's using that content and that insight on that business and just making sure that the distribution is right. And in this really long-winded way around, what I'm getting to is is a, is a um, post that you put up about running a virtual event and then how you cut that up into like four months worth of content. And I think that's like the most extreme version of that. And I'd be really interested to hear a bit more about like how you plan that out, how you maybe ran the events, if you ran it slightly differently in order to make sure it was like primed for that distribution piece. Yeah, that one, it was an interesting one. I actually, we ran that playbook twice when I was at Metadata. The first time I had just come on. So the event was in October of 2021. I had come on in August. So they had already built up all the speakers and had, you know, how they were going to record this. Half were live, half were recorded. And so it was a mix of like roundtables and a mix of keynotes and et cetera. And so, but I had just come from sort of like, just kicking off a podcast at a previous company and just starting to get the feet wet with the repurposing and distribution of that podcast. And so all I figured was, hey, I'm brand new at this job. I need to be able to get some runway here to like get my feet wet. You already have all this stuff planned out. Let's just take this and maximize it you know, as much as we can. And so what we ended up doing was taking... We had 12 sessions. And each one of those sessions, we just treated like a new piece of content every single week because we knew we only had X amount of people register. Of the people who registered, we only have X amount of people who attend live. Mm -hmm. And so that's a small pool of people who yeah. are attending live. And then we only have an, a small amount of people that are maybe on our, our email list at the time. And so to build that up, what we ended up doing was just, I came up with a, a very simple distribution framework for how we would cut the videos up. But we tested it as like, this is an experiment. Like we don't know, nobody does, nobody had that I knew of had ever done a virtual event like this in my life in terms yeah. of like cutting it up this way and distributing it. And so, because typically what happens is you have a virtual event, you get all the recordings, you load them up on a landing page and you shoot them off and you say, hey, all the recordings are ready. Go watch them. And <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. no you're one like, will. you get the email and you're like, well, oh, like, cool. They're live. And then you never go back. The speaker will go watch themselves. Yeah, totally. Uh, how, <laughs> yeah. how did I do? Or like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe I'll share this with my crew once in a while. But so what we ended up doing was just coming up with a weekly distribution plan for each quote unquote episode, like each session. And so for 12 weeks, we dropped out a new episode every single week and everyone had multiple social clips that we pulled out of it, multiple YouTube videos, the YouTube videos we could share out at different times. And so we were literally hitting this all the time we were sending an email. In the email, we were also linking to the YouTube videos, linking back to the landing page where we embedded the YouTube videos. And so it was just like trying to build a network effect and a launch plan for this. And then obviously post that event, some of the stuff started ranking oddly enough, like that was not the plan, but you know, some of the stuff started ranking in YouTube based on the videos and based on the topics that the guests had. And so typically around the, the actual speaker themselves. But that was, you know, that's just more great ways to build up the content strategy for that. And 
the best part about that, and I did talk about that in the post, but for a content marketer, the best part for me was like, once that got on autopilot, I could then shift focus mm. and start to do other things and focus on other strategic pieces that we had to do, like launch a podcast, launch a piece of original research, do all these things that was like we needed to do in Q1, which as a one-person content team, I couldn't have even imagined doing that if I was having to like do that on top of like trying to create content every week, yeah, trying, yeah. To content every week trying to create content. And so it just frees you up to actually be able to do more and get like more strategic work done. Mm. A lot of this is like the influencer playbook, isn't it? Like if you think like just as you're explaining that to me then, I was thinking of people like Tony Robbins who, you know, he will, uh, you know, clips of him on YouTube, parts of his, the most inspirational, like emotional parts of those massive shows he does. Even other people who are like they're dicks to be honest, but like Grant Cardone and like Dan Pena and like all these people, like at the end of the day, totally. they kind of view all of that as content, right? And I think what you're talking about there is something that I think a lot of businesses could do a lot better because there yeah. is so much content in your day-to-day work and what you're doing. And actually, if you share that, even if it's not all fully 100% polished, like that's why influencers are so popular in a lot of ways is that they show like the real life. Well, I think businesses could take a leaf out of that book, really. They should. I, I People used to ask me like, hey, who like what are the other companies do you like get inspiration from? You know, who's doing it right? And it's like, well, two companies probably do it right. And we all know, you know, the ones that are, you know, trendy or cool or whatever. But for me, I, I always say, look at creators, the creator mm. economy, look at the, you know, these people who are single people out in the world and they're killing it out there. They're absolutely, you know, they, you feel like they're everywhere, even if you don't like their content or so you're just like, oh my gosh, this person is everywhere. Like, mm. how are they doing that? And a lot of times it's video and then it's video at scale. That's the playbook in a lot of ways. It's creating mm. a core piece of content and then being able to cut that up and distribute it as much as possible. I think it's overwhelming. Like honestly, even sometimes for me, it's overwhelming that the amount of distribution that you could do. But I think that gets less overwhelming if you limit the amount of things you're having to create and what you're doing and planning that out to say, I had this on an episode as well. And my podcast with the 3C method, which is like a cornerstone piece of content two to four times a year, which then can get cut up into other things. So if it's original research, if it's a course, if it's something, and you cut that up into blogs and a podcast, and then you cut that up into YouTube videos and social clips and emails. And so like being able to have this plan where it's not so hodgepodge. And again, like don't have to plan out a full year, like take a quarter, take three, you know, three months, take a month and say, okay, what for this quarter, like what's our launch plan? What's our distribution plan? What are we getting out into the world? And then take a reset, you know, the next quarter, take a reset the next quarter and and try to plan those things out. Yeah, definitely. So last thing before I let you get on the rest of your day, how do you keep track of all this, right? Like, so from a tools perspective, what's your, what kind of content calendars do you use? Like what kind of things do you make sure that everything gets posted when it gets posted and you don't like just drown in a sea of like MP4 files and Google Doc drafts. I don't have a perfect system. If you want a system, I had somebody on my show, Stephen Pope, and he came on. He does a ton of like automation work and a ton of like being able to track things. And he's great at that. I'm horrible at like <laughs> process and like keeping this. So like I am probably in a sea of uh, of files. But what I like to do is I do plan out the social content. So like for Twitter, for LinkedIn, I do like to bash that out at least a week, two weeks in advance if possible. And then I like to 
have sort of just a typical flow that goes into that. So for instance, for a podcast episode, I know that is going to get cut up into certain things. So every time I record a podcast, it's going to be a, new, a newsletter. It's going to be a Twitter thread. It's going to be individual tweets, individual LinkedIn posts. And I'm going to have clips that come off of that. And so I know what's coming off of it. And then what I do is I just line that up on a calendar basically and say, okay, like episode six, clip one is Tuesday. Yeah. Episode six, clip two is you know two weeks down. And so you can formulate a calendar. Because at the end of the day, like what I've kind of learned is like growing up in, as a content marketer is nobody cares about your content calendar. Like you care yeah. about it. And internally, maybe other people like, I want to, what are we doing? What are we? And like, it's okay to have a content calendar. I'm not going to say they're useless, but externally, nobody cares. Like yeah. nobody cares when this podcast released. Nobody cares that this is clip six from episode 12. They just yeah. care like, oh, cool. You know, you showed up in my feed again. That That's helpful and useful. So I'm not too concerned with like being so rigid on this stuff, especially because it's, you know, like I've got a pretty good feel of what I'm creating. It's just me. And so like for clients, I like to have it be a little bit more structured because oftentimes they are dealing with other teams. You have to be able to communicate what's going out. You want to have, you know, a plan of attack in terms of what you're repurposing. But yeah, no, for me, it, it's a little bit hodgepodge in terms of all the files and all the things, but I do house all the stuff like I use Buffer as a like social tool. And then I have obviously like some Google Docs set up and I try to be somewhat organized, but I'm I'm admittedly not great at it. Yeah, we're in the same boat there. <laughs> That's been really useful, mate. Thank you for taking the time to come on and have a, have a chat with me today. I think there's some definite takeaways for people there. So if, if anyone wants to get in touch with you directly or find more of your content, where's the where's the best place for them to do that? Yeah. If you want to hang out every day, you can follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. Uh, you can just search Justin C. Simon. That's where I'm at there. If you're interested in learning more about what I do, you can hop on to justinsimon.co. I have all my stuff there. I have a newsletter, I have podcasts. Everything's linked there. So if you're interested in kind of leveling up as far as distribution, repurposing, creating content strategies around those things, I talk about this stuff all the time. And yeah, if, if you're a company who's interested in doing this for yourself as well, I have a giant contact button that you can get a hold of me there or shoot me a LinkedIn DM. Happy to chat. Awesome. Thanks again for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First. And thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are going to help you build your brand, 10x your content and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.